Hi there, it's Jamie Wilson here from MSF, just up here at Mount Bryan with John Quinn, who's been uh, playing around with regenerative ag over the last few years. So, hi John, how are you going? Good Jamie, how are you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Good to be here. That's good. Yeah, so just if you could give us a little bit of a background about where we are and, and a little bit about your business and area and rainfall and things like that. Yeah, sure. So we are at Mount Bryan, roughly 180 kilometres north of Adelaide. 15 kilometres north of Borough, for people who know the area. You'd probably call us the northeastern corner of the mid-north. Part of our property would only be five kilometres from Goiter's Line. And from anyone who knows what that is, it's where the country goes pastoral and the cropping side of things fall off and the rainfall does as well. So that's where we are. And, and what about the rainfall then, based on the back of that there, John? So our property is spread out, but our home block is right near the township of Mount Bryan, long-term average 425 mil, 17 inches, and generally across our property, it's been regular like that, but a lot more sporadic over the last 20 years, I would say. You've, you've um, noticed a change in the rainfall patterns, have you? Yeah. When I was a kid and with dad telling me stories of farming, winter used to always be wet regardless. Even if you had a dry year, you'd, you'd have a wet winter, but that doesn't seem to be the case all the time anymore. Last year, yeah, we had a wet July, but we didn't, we really didn't see any rain after that until November where we had another wet month. And that sort of seems to be a thing from now on. So that's something that we're trying to work around with what we do. We're very elevated here. We are in the bottom of a valley, but the bottom of that valley is 520 metres above sea level. So it's cold in winter, July, August, crop, pasture growth is very slow indeed. So to almost non-existent, I would imagine. Almost non-existent, yeah. yeah. We've tried, as some people would know, colder soil temperatures, your legumes don't like that, even less than grasses. So we've tried clovers and you'd really, you wouldn't even call them productive, really. You might get a germination, you won't get ground cover. In a good spring, you might get a boom there for a month, but uh, it's hard work, basically. So yeah, with very cold and then you get to September and by the end of September, we can be looking at 30, 35 degrees with hot northerly winds on the same day that we've had a frost in that morning. So tough going for grain crops. We've tried canola and growing vetch for grain in the past. We've sort of given up on that. It was too risky for so, us. So you played around with a lot of the different crops that are uh, currently in a lot of people's regular... Yeah, well, back in the early 2000s when I guess no-till was really taking off and continuous cropping and that sort of thing. We're all trying everything that was newish and you needed to try if you were going to do some continuous cropping, which we were trying to do back. But yeah, canola, uh, you know, we don't really have a flat paddock here. So you've got elevated areas and low areas and elevated areas. You might be getting 800 kilos and then down to 50 kilos of the hectare on the flats because you've had a frost or something like that. So we've sort of just slowly weaned ourselves off certain crops due to the risk factors. 2016. Very good year rain-wise. We were still growing wheat and barley for our cattle crops. Then our average yield, cereal yield for wheat was still only two tonne to the hectare, even after trying no-till for 10 to 15 years. We were looking at five tonnes that year, magnificent crops. And in one night, mid-October, I'll never forget it, 80% in one night to a frost. So that's where a few things changed. First of all, I cut back cropping after that and I cut out wheat altogether. So I went and bought some more sheep and we're basically currently our only grain crop is barley. Yep. We grow some oats for sheep feed and we're 
more of a prime lamb production on a merino based system now. So you've swung your enterprises around from cropping through to majority livestock with a bit of opportunity cropping where it suits. Pretty much. We've always been a mixed farm and I do remember dad saying that he always used to pay the bills with the sheep and the cropping would be a bonus. And us young fellas back in the 2000s with the new machinery, we went full gung ho with the cropping and that hurt us pretty bad there. And that's where we started working out what can we afford to do and what we, what can't we afford to do. But yeah, the sheep are back paying the bills again, basically. So we, yeah. should, we should have known, but you've got to learn these lessons. Turnaround in livestock over the last few years. And yeah, they're certainly becoming a major part of a lot of people's enterprises again. But it's, it's if you can run sheep or cattle at the moment and you're set up to do that and you're used to doing that, you can't really lose at the moment. So yeah, they're our major income. Cropping is still handy. We can, we can send our barley just straight over the hill to a huge cattle feedlot. So that's quite convenient. And yeah, it's the lowest risk sort of enterprise mix we can think of at the moment. I guess livestock don't get frosted, do they? They don't care about the weather at all. No, they'll return. I know you, depending on where you are, droughts can really knock you around, but I guess we're kind of lucky here that seed stocking is a real rarity. If you've got some stored up feed, hay, grain, you can usually get through and it's good sheep country. They'll just bring in the income regardless. Yeah. So that's a great background behind what you've been doing here, John. And we, we're going to talk a bit more about regenerative ag now, and I know that you're quite passionate about it. So I guess just for our listeners, if you would like to give a bit of a background on what regenerative ag means to you. Basically it means different things to different people, but to me, it's about prioritizing the health of our soils and ecosystems. And when you say ecosystems, do you mean above ground or below ground or? Both. Yeah. And I know any good farmer is doing that anyway. We were, we were no till since 2004, as I said earlier, continuous cropping for a while. In fact, I think we were trying to grow cereals just end on end, which uh, didn't end well. But then we introduced some break crops and eventually brought pasture back into it. But the no till direct drill, continuous cropping knife point system certainly made our soils more manageable. And I guess for the listeners there, the soils here are actually quite heavy clay. Yeah. They're rated as a fine sandy clay loam, which I call concrete basically. Yes. And, and believe me guys, I was out there trying to dig some before and working on the shovel was not an easy task. No, the soil dries out very quickly. I'm sure there's always moisture to depth, but plants have got to get their roots down there to, to ac access that obviously. But as I was saying, the no-till, it made things more manageable, much more efficient. By the end of the cultivation days, we had some parts of paddocks that the cultivator wouldn't even enter the ground. It would just skim across the top. That's how hard it was. But we weren't seeing production increases. And so, when, so how long has it been since you've been no-tilling? We bought our first knife point air seeder in 2004 and obviously been doing it ever since then. Yeah. But yet our average wheat yield didn't improve. You could probably say maybe in those dry years, we were a little better off, but I still wasn't impressed with what I was seeing. So I started looking into what is going wrong here. Is it the climate? Is that what we're doing? Is it the soil? And you can't change the climate. You can only do so much with what you were doing. So I started looking at the soil and came to the decision that we seriously had to look at carbon, organic matter, water holding capacity, infiltration and trying to reduce evaporation, basically. Those are the three major things that are on my priority list at the moment. And so what practices then on the back have you changed over on your overall farm then to suit this new direction 
that you're trying on parts of the farm? Yeah. So we've been trialing for three or four years now, and we started just with biodiversity. If you look into soil health, there's the five main principles. Having as much soil cover as possible is one of them. Most farmers are already doing that. Minimal soil disturbance. Most modern farmers are doing that as well. And then you've got these added ones, biodiversity, having living roots in your soil for as long as possible and integrating livestock if possible, obviously easy for us. So yeah, we were doing the soil cover, the, the minimal soil disturbance. We were working with that as most are. So I just tried the diversity of, I'd heard of people using cover crops both cool season, warm season, to try and accelerate the carbon building process. So we trialled some of those. I was lucky enough to have some sheep holding paddocks that we use for shearing and crutching and just went for it in there. And what sort of diversity were you looking at in the mixes and cover crop mixes that you were doing for, I believe it was for both winter and summer? Mm, as in species? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So in the first year, I just gathered together whatever I could. So we had wheats. Wheat, barley, oat. So all the leftover bits and pieces from the silos and stuff. Yeah, it was that. And then I found some other, like we don't grow peas or anything, but I found peas and arrowleaf clover. We've had some success with that in the past. So that's always in there. And that was the first year I tried tillage radish as well. So I put that in there and that was a pretty spectacular. What? That was a winter mix, yeah. Yes, yep. yep. So sowed in the t- traditional sort of April, May. Yep. We sowed that after the break of the season, did the usual knockdown and everything. And it looked pretty good. I did a straight sedangrass sorghum after that. That went well. And then the next year we went back into multi-species and I bought a a proper cover crop blend that year, which had about 12 species in it. Once again, wheat, oats, barley, cereal, rye, triacali. And then we went to lentils, peas, vetch, beans. I went to canola in that mix and arrowleaf clover blend. I don't know how many that adds up to, but that's probably about where we were. That was a dry year, I think. That might have been 2018, and our barley crops were struggling. It was just looking amazing. It was sown with no fertiliser, and it was just lush and probably had twice the biomass of anything else we were looking at that year. That was going to be for grazing, was it? That That's was the intention? Yeah, they're always for grazing. Yeah. That's where we are with these crops. Yes, we do a hay crop for ourselves every year, and that's it's been multi-species over the last four years and, and done well as well. But yeah, other than that, they're just grazing break crops now, basically. And so when you're grazing them, do you have any criteria that you look at as into, do you go to bare ground or do you go to knee high or like, how do you manage the grazing to make sure, because you, you mentioned before soil cover was important. Accidents along the way there. These are obviously small holding paddocks and they have high numbers of stock come into them. You leave livestock in there for six hours too long and all of a sudden you're looking at their ground, which did happen in that year with that 12 species mix. But I think we ended up getting a reasonable spring rain that year and it just came back and was taller than my egg bike six weeks later. But from now on, we're going broad scale with these break crops from this year on. I'd like to leave at least a third at the end of the season, if not more, depending on where we are in the rotation, whether I'm going in with a summer multi-species into the same paddock. If we're doing that, I'll graze a bit heavier. Otherwise... Yeah, if you've got the winter mixed cover crop going in and then following it with a summer one, yep. well, then you might go a bit harder. So then what, you can seed it or because you know that you're going to get that cover from the summer? Yeah, I have done that before and you never really have a lack of cover after that. If, Even if you graze it down to 20 centimetres or whatever, I'm still using an old flexicoil and... It gets a bit messy when I'm trying to sow through these things in spring, but the organic matter's still there and jagged germination or whatever, then I'm fine with that. But yes, to get the cedar through and we might even do a knockdown depending on the situation. If I think there's some weeds there and we've had moisture in there, it's going to carry on and 
cause the summer crop to have some troubles. Then like establishment the, of the summer crop with yeah, petition. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You've just got to judge that when the time comes, I think. If the, if the season's closing out, then you might be okay to not do that knockdown, but we'll just judge that when the time comes. So you've been doing it for about four or five years now, John. Have you noticed any changes across your enterprise? Do you think that once you've got the system sorted to suit your area here, like being high altitude, low rainfall, how do you think that's going to affect your enterprises? And is there any changes that have happened that you've noticed in those paddocks? We've had one paddock that we looked at earlier today that has had a multi-species in it twice a year for the last three years and digging around in summer when it's dry, you it's a bit hard to tell, but I think during the growing season when there's moisture there, you can actually see a darker tinge to the topsoil. So that's sort of what we're hoping to get out of this as a result. Production-wise, the sheep just love these crops. It's got to be more fun to be in there than in a monoculture, I think. So they can go in there and pick and choose whatever they need. So basically, we've changed our rotation around. There's a lot of things we're changing, but we've sort of short cropping system. These crops will be the break crop. It's a very common thing to see vetch crops growing around here just as your break crop and they'll be brown manured and grazed we'll do that but if if we need to control grasses then we'll just put peas in there and beans and and lupins and maybe not lentils they don't perform here canola tillage radish if you get to spray those grasses out you just stick with your broad leaf and add your diversity that way and just increase your competition to help control the grasses as well pretty much yep Mm. yep and and as i said give the livestock plenty of choice of what's out there so they'll be the break crops and as far as building soil carbon, we've introduced a long, a longer pasture phase now, which at the moment is looking like six to seven years long. Mm-hmm. That's on arable country. I mean, that's going to be a loosened base system. So you've got your, your growing plant there, 12 months of the year. Sure enough, it might not look that great in February if you haven't had rain since September, but it's still alive and ready to respond as soon as anything happens rainfall wise. So. And I guess with loosen, it's got quite a fibrous root system and everything mm-hmm. that you're going to be hopefully getting some benefits in the soil through that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And being a perennial legume, you know, you're hoping to get some nitrogen fixation, but yeah, definitely a significant root system that's changing over roots year in, year out. I don't know. People have different thoughts on how much carbon you actually get out of a, a loosened pasture, but to my mind, it's better than nothing basically. And it does survive. You get it established and you manage it properly. It's a real survivor out there. So with the winters here, I assume that you've gone for mostly an, a summer active loosen. No, but right? just running a seven, basically. Sardi uh, seven. Sardi seven, yeah. Yeah. I actually went to the Hart Field Days and I think it was San Jolly had a loosen trial there. And yeah, Sardi seven was just miles on top of the others at the time, which I don't know why I didn't expect that, but we just went with it. The local seed fella buys that if you harvest it too. He likes that variety okay. for sprouting. So yeah, it was just a win-win and... Seems a tough plant and performs and mid-summer active. It wouldn't matter if we had a winter dormant because we don't get a hell of a lot out of the loosen during winter anyway, but... Everything's dormant here in winter. <laughs> that's true. But we we can't kill the, the Sardi 7. We don't try to overgraze it anyway. We're looking at the stand out there at the moment, which has been there since 2017, and that's as thick as it's ever been, so... Yes, it does look quite good from here. So, yeah, that's just what we'll stick with at the moment. And with the loosen, when you're in that loosen phase, like cleaning it or anything, or are you leaving grasses and other stuff, yeah. bits and pieces, or yeah. how are you managing that side of it? It's a good question. And we've only just, only just come up with this rotation in the last few months, believe it or not, but I did sow 100 hectares of loosen around the place last year. And unfortunately, it got a really wet November, so, because I usually under-sow it, 
I just like to get a crop off the same paddock in the same year. I'm a bit greedy that way. You don't always have success, but you get a November light. We just did and it works out okay. But I think it will depend on weed spectrum. If barley grass, brown grass, silver grass starts getting away, then I will do a winter clean, get in there with new spray seed and simazine and whatever. But if we're looking all right, I think at least every three years, I'll probably drill it a winter cover crop and um, just... Like a mixed species cover crop or yeah, something like a trippy or a rye or something? Uh, Every cover crop, grazing crop we grow is always going to be mixed species from now on. So it'll be that. And the other season goes, I really like the idea. We had a, a wind on a paddock here this year where we had just a straight barley crop sewn into a loosened stand and had lots of wheat in it. And I was going to harvest it just to put in the silo. Didn't need to. We're currently running crossbred lambs on it. And you wouldn't even know they're in there. We've got 15 to the hectare on there and they've been there for a month, I think. And so that's a mature grain. So you've got a mature grain in there as well as a loosened plant, which has actually gone to seed. So you've got loosened pods. Yes. And it just seems to be a really safe mix for them. And they're doing really well on it. And we'll just take them out as soon as thinking they're going to remove some cover to the soil. And then we'll leave it till break of the season. And you're going to get yourself sown cereals back in there after that because they've grazed your ripe barley crop. They'll knock some seed on the ground. You'll get a self-sown cereal that next year and you'll run with that. And then that's when you judge your weeds spray top at the end of that year and then up just a plain loose in the following year it's yep. we'll just see how it plays out and how are you managing inputs for these cover crops and the mixed species cover crops I'm not sure if i mentioned earlier but we've you know when i was first sowing these and mixing up my own seed i'd i'd need all the bins in the cedar just for small seeds and large seeds because we've got a twin shoot cedar so we can put the larger seeds deep and the and the smaller seeds shallow so i didn't have room for fertilizer at the time and that didn't seem to make a difference like that was they performed just fine like that i have been putting fertilizer down with my summer crops because i figure if we're if we're taking the risk of sowing the crop if we do get a, a storm i'd like to have some nutrition there just to get these things are really pumping along the sorghums and millets and stuff like that are fast growing grasses they're nutrient hungry so they are, yeah, yeah and that's why i did that because you know in, in the early days we really need to be getting the biomass there to start with that's how you get these systems started up and running but as far as that loosen phase goes this loosen out here hasn't had no fertilizer on it its entire life that's 2017 and it's not holding back at this stage i haven't tested the soil i will this year just to see what is actually happening there but ideally the pasture phase we won't be adding in nutrition at all i'm hoping that just the cycling of the organic matter and the loosen in combination will give us just enough to keep the system rolling along. Clearly our crops, we'll still get that. The typical uh, repertoire of, of fertilizer and break crops in between. If it's a legume-based cover crops where we're trying to remove grass, we'll only put a starter down, I think. I probably will try without fertilizer, to be honest, on some of those. That's the only way to find out what sort of a result you're going to get. So yeah, that's sort of what we're thinking at this stage. And with the mixed piece, obviously there's quite a diverse range there. Are you finding that they perform differently? Like we were saying, the legumes are a slow thing during winter. Cereals are much better, but the cereals are quicker. So we've had to adjust our rates of cereal to legume because the, the cereals just drown it out. Yeah. Yep. And the vetch and the peas become really spindly and not very strong performers. And you'd almost say they're barely worth having there in the early days when we were trying these things. So I think back then we might have been sowing 50 kilos of a cereal and then maybe 20 peas and some clover as well. But I really think we need to come back to around the 20 mark for the cereals, possibly. And if I can get the time in our schedule, I'm even thinking of inter-row sowing. So giving every second row or every third row to the legume. So it's got its own space. 
Yes. Collected its own sunlight. I think they would perform a lot better in that situation. It's just a matter of me having time to set up the cedar. We've got a pretty big contracting business on the side and I'm fairly well under the pump during seeding. So I've bought the equipment I need to do it. It's just a matter of biting the bullet and doing it. And if I do set the cedar up to do that this year, I'll try a companion species in a barley or a wheat crop as well. So I'm thinking every third row at the moment, you've got your two cereal rows and every third row will have vetch peas, something with a taproot in there. And then we'll spray those out, maybe with an aim on as a late broadleaf spray. And hopefully we get some benefits. The taproot pushing down through the soil and the, the legumes, hopefully supplying some nitrogen along the way. And maybe even I'm hoping for advantages for the cereal, sort of having that, you know, the edge effect you get on a crop yep. trial. Maybe even getting some edge effect from having that third row sort of with a more prostrate plant in there. So... Plus, once you sprayed it out and hopefully you've got a good thick cereal canopy, it will break down and start yeah. cycling through the system a lot quicker because of the extra moisture in that canopy ecosystem. And if it, you know, if it works and, and you take this on for every crop you grow, those tap roots are important. Now, if you can get those in there every year, you're slowly going to break through that soil and open up the pore spaces and get better infiltration. And it's all theory at this stage, but worth a try, I think. And we're lucky enough to be a livestock-based system. It's not as risky to say you're continuous croppers for us. I know it's probably a lot harder for them. We can do this and not lose anything. So that's what we're doing. Excellent. I'd like to thank you for your time and uh, thank you for speaking to uh, Mali Sustainable Farming. No worries, Jamie. I hope your listeners get something out of it. Thank you. This project is supported by the Murraylands and Riverland Landscape Board through funding from the Australian Government's National Landcare Program and the Landscape Levies. Thanks for joining us. If you want to hear more, like and subscribe to the MSF Farm Talk podcast. Catch you later.